Last week we looked at the story of Elijah confronting the people of God on Mount Carmel and giving them a clear choice between two things. And in fact, last week we looked at verse 21 where it says, How long will you waver between two opinions? They were stuck right in the middle trying to decide which way they were going to go. You see, now you need to understand something. Let me kind of refresh our memories from last week. Israel's sin was not that they had totally rejected God. That was not their sin. Israel's sin was that they were seeking to combine the worship of God and the worship of Baal. They had not totally rejected God. He was just not as important in their lives as he used to be. So Elijah said, if the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal is God, follow him. In other words, if you really believe that God is God, then live that out in your daily life. Stop trying to halfway serve God. And then we saw these five powerful words in verse 21 last week. It said, after Elijah poured out his heart to the people, it says in verse 21, but the people said nothing. Their hearts had grown so cold that they weren't sure that they were ready to give up worshiping Baal. They weren't sure, listen to this, they were not sure if they were ready to give up their sin. Elijah placed a clear choice before the people and they stood there just looking at him. And they said nothing. And I wondered this week as I was looking at the text again, I wondered how long Elijah stood there looking at them. The silence must have been deafening. As he stood there staring, perhaps angrily, at the people of God. And they stood there not willing to do anything. Then Elijah makes a proposal, and this is where we pick up the story. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 22. This, we pick up the story again. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us and let them choose one for themselves. And let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of who, church? The Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Or they said, in essence, that's a good idea. I found it very interesting that Elijah said, the God who answers by fire is God. Why not rain? The God who answers by rain is God. Remember now, it hadn't rained for three and a half years. Wouldn't that be a good way to prove that God really is the only God? Wouldn't that be a good thing to say? say okay, you call on Baal and ask him to make it rain. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. You call on Baal and ask him to make it rain. And then I'll call on God and ask him to make it rain. And the God who answers by rain... He is God. That, to me, would have been a logical contest. But Elijah was doing more than just trying to convince them that God is real. Listen to this, and don't forget it. Elijah was also trying to turn their hearts back to God. So he says, the God who answers by fire, He is God. Now, there's some history behind that proposal. You need to remember back in the early days of these people of God that at the ancient tent of meeting back in the days of Moses. 
Moabites would have been their ancestors. But back in the days of Moses, at the ancient tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the people of God there in the tent of meeting. And the Bible says that the fire of God consumed the burnt offering. Let me read the text for you. You don't have time to turn there. Leviticus 9, just listen to it. Leviticus 9, 23 and 24. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Now listen to verse 24. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions of the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. I believe that Elijah used the fire and the sacrifice to point the Israelites back to their spiritual heritage. He wanted to show the people of Israel the difference between the God of wood and stone and Jehovah God. And so Elijah sets up this contest. Look at the story again in verse 25. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. And since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, and do not light the fire, but do not light the fire. And so they took the bull given to them and prepared it. And look what happens. Look carefully at what happens. Verse 26. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until when? Hours had passed by. And here's what they were saying. Oh, Bell, answer us, they shouted. Oh, Bell, answer us. Notice the desperation of these prophets crying out from morning to noon and shouting and shouting and shouting for Bell to answer them. And notice what, what it says next. But there was no response, no one answered. And then it says at the end of verse 26, and they danced around the altar they had made. They shouted and danced around the altar trying to arouse their little G God to action. From early morning until noon they called on Bill but nothing happened. There was no lightning, there was no fire, there was no one answered. The silence was so evident. Now if you don't think there's humor, humor in the Bible, you haven't read your Bible close enough. Verse 27, there's some humor in the Bible. At noon, Elijah began to do what, church? He began to do what? Now that doesn't sound very Christian. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is in deep thought or busy. Now this is where it gets a little bit funny. I'm not going to get too deep into this because I don't want to get in trouble with my wife. But here... Here's that word busy is a very interesting Hebrew word. You can check me out on this later. You can look it up for yourself. But the word busy, there's some debate about what that really means. Most people say, and in fact, some of the translations use this concept, that the word busy indicates maybe he's gone to the bathroom. You can check me out later. Don't do it now. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy. Or traveling. And then he says, maybe he's sleeping. And he must be awakened. Verse 27. is an amazing verse. Elijah wasn't just being a pompous prophet. You know what Elijah was doing? He wasn't just being a jerk. You know what Elijah was doing? He was trying to show the people of God the foolishness of serving this lifeless idol. He, he wasn't just being unchristian. 
to use our terminology. He was trying to show the people the foolishness of this lifeless idol. Verse 28, things become more dark and demonic. Verse 28, so they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom. In other words, this is something that they did ongoing. This was not just a one-time thing as were their custom until their blood flowed. Self-inflicted wounds was a pagan way of arousing your God to action as your blood mingled with that of the sacrifice. It must have been an unforgettable scene of chaos and madness. Chuck Swindoll says it this way, he says, it was as if the forces of hell had been unleashed and were on display in these out-of-control human bodies. As if the forces of hell had been unleashed and, and things were just kind of getting out of control with these false prophets of Baal. But still, nothing happened in the heavens. Verse 29. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Those are dramatic words, aren't they? Aren't they? L- look at them again. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Do you know Why? Baal didn't answer because Baal didn't exist. Picture the false prophets of God, the false prophets of Baal, in absolute exhaustion, falling to the ground, panting and bleeding. And in that dramatic moment, Elijah steps forward. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar. Watch this. Watch what he did. What's the first thing he did? Those watching at home, look in your Bibles. Tell me, look at the first thing that he did. Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. The first thing that he did was to repair the altar of the Lord. And we're not even sure why there was an altar of the Lord there on Mount Carmel. Evidently, somebody, some of God's people at some time had made that a place of worship. But now, in these days of idolatry, that altar had been destroyed. It laid in ruins. And Elijah would use this time to remind God's people in a very special way of their religious heritage. Now, you need to follow very carefully as we begin reading verse 31. Elijah, watch this. Watch how he reminds them of of their religious heritage. Verse 31. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be called Israel. By using 12 stones, Elijah was pointing the people of God back to their beginnings. By using the 12 stones, he was pointing the people of God, back to that time when they were exclusively God's people. And remember that Elijah wanted to turn their hearts back to God. That was the whole point of the fire. Elijah wanted to turn their hearts back to God. So pick up the story in verse 32. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. Verse 33, he arranged the wood, he cut the bull into pieces, and they laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. And they did that. Some believe that the large jars may be more better translated barrels of water. 
Verse 34, do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. The people standing there must have been thinking, what is he doing? What in the world is he doing? Pouring water all over the sacrifice. Now, listen carefully. This is so good. At three o'clock in the afternoon, the time of the evening sacrifice at the temple in, in Jerusalem, Elijah lifted his voice in prayer to the God of the covenant. At three o'clock in the afternoon, at the time of the evening sacrifice in the temple of Jerusalem, Elijah prayed to God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Pick up the story with me in verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet, prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, as he was sometimes called, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Now we see why Elijah didn't say, okay, let's pray and whoever sends rain, he's God. Now we begin to see why Elijah said, okay, let's pray and the one who sends fire and takes up the sacrifice, he is God. You see, Elijah wasn't just trying to convince them that the Lord was God. They already knew that. They had gotten away from it, but they knew that. Elijah was trying to turn the hearts of the people back to God. And he used the sacrifice to point the people back to the God of the covenant. When the fire fell from heaven, it was communicating two powerful messages. Verse 37, this is the heart of of, of the message today. Write these down. Two powerful messages are in verse 37. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know two things. Number one, that you, O Lord, are God. God, I'm asking you to send fire from heaven. Consume this sacrifice so these people will know that you are God. And then, even more important, the next one. And that you are turning their hearts back again. Don't rush past that last statement. It's incredibly important. Even though they had broken the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Even though they had bowed down to lifeless idols. Even though some of them had sacrificed their sons to Baal. Even though God had become secondary in their lives. Even though they deserved God's judgment. Elijah was praying, God, show them that you are God. And show them that you're turning their hearts back to you. And I love verse 38. And when all the people saw verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, and not just the sacrifice, but the wood and the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Because God wanted to use that moment to turn His people back to Him. 
God wanted to use that moment. And so he didn't just send fire from heaven. He burned up everything they had piled up there. Because he wanted to communicate. I am God. And I do want you back. Those are two points of my sermon today. I am God. and I do want you back. I am God. I know what you've done. And I do want you back. I am God. I know how you've turned away from me. But I do want you back. You see, we all have a lot in common with the people on Mount Carmel. We can all find reasons why God shouldn't love us. We can all point to times when we've been pulled away by the lure of sin. We can all recall times when we broke the commandments and broke God's heart. And God visually and powerfully demonstrated two things to His people that day on Mount Carmel. I am God, and I do want you back. I want you to hear something. Hear me well. God's all about restoration. See, you are more important to God than what you've done. Let that sink in for a moment. That's true of the, of the, the people of God who had gotten into idolatry. It started serving Baal. They were giving their children to the, God, the pagan, demonic God of Baal. They, they, had, they had wandered away from God. They, they were not living in fellowship with God. They were disobedient to God. And in spite of what they had done, God wanted to turn their hearts back to Him. You are more important to God than what you've done. He loves you no matter what you've done. And He could never love you any more, and He will never love you any less. Now, how do you respond to that kind of grace? How do you respond when God does something like that? Look how they respond in verse 39. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Probably had been a while since it said that. God had indeed turned their hearts back to Him. And you know what? He wants to do that in your life too. If you deserve God's judgment and you need God's grace, today could be your moment where you decide the Lord, He is God. He is my God again. Can I remind you that there was an even greater showdown one time than the one that occurred on Mount Carmel? there was a greater showdown that occurred in the city of Jerusalem on top of that mountain in Jerusalem. It was a showdown before, between the forces of evil and the grace and goodness of God. And it all came to point at a cross on a hill called Calvary. And there as the forces of evil did their best to destroy God and to show that He wasn't real. God through the cross demonstrated, I am God and I want you back. And I want you back so badly that I will sacrifice my son. And on Calvary's cross, as Jesus shed his blood, he has forever declared he is God. And no matter what you've done, he wants you back. He has forever declared he loves you. And he will never love you any more than he does right now. And he'll never love you any less than he does right now. Because he defeated death, hell, and the grave on Mount Calvary. 
Do you know him like that? Do you know? Could you say in your heart, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is my God. You can today. Whether you're here in the building or watching online, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you need to be like the people of God and come back to him. Maybe God's using this difficult time in your life to turn your heart back to Him. Maybe you've gotten away from God and you've not been honoring Him as the Lord God in your life. He's been secondary. Other things have been more important. And God's been using this time of trial in your life to turn your heart back to Him. You see, God does not bring discipline in our lives just to punish us. Not to pay us back, but to bring us back. To turn us back to Him. For three and a half years, it didn't rain. Was that God's discipline? Yes. But you know what God was trying to do? He was trying to get their attention to turn their hearts back to Him. Because God's all about restoration. False gods always promise what only the true God can deliver. The false god of Baal had promised rain. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain. And the true God sent the rain and the blessings. Only God can do that. Only God can send the blessings you're looking for. Only God can send the blessings you need. And so let's end, let's end this chapter just reading the text with me. It's a beautiful story. It has a great ending. Beginning of verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. Now, there hasn't been the sound of any rain for three and a half years. Prophetically, there is the sound of heavy rain. He saw it in his spirit before he saw it with his eyes. So Ahab, verse 42, went off to eat and drink. But, Ahab, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel and he bent down to the ground and he put his face between his knees. Remember in James chapter 5 it says, Elijah prayed and it did not rain. And then Elijah prayed and it did rain. That's what's happening right here. Now look what happens. Ahab went off to eat and Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel and bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Verse 43, go and look towards the sea, he told the servant. And he went up and he looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. I've been on the top of Mount Carmel and there's a, there's a monastery on the very top now marking the spot, approximate spot of where all this occurred. And there's a platform on top of that monastery where you can look out over the Jezreel Valley to the east and look out over the mountain range and see the Mediterranean on the west. Mount Carmel is about nine miles from the Mediterranean. So Elijah said, I want you to look out towards the Mediterranean and tell me if you see anything. And I remember the very first time I saw that with my own eyes and I, I, I thought about this very text and I, I thought about how reliable the scriptures are. That here I am, I'm standing on Mount Carmel and I'm looking at what the servant of God had been looking at when Elijah sent him to go look. Just, just one of those fascinating times for me. Verse 43, go and look towards the sea. He told the servant and he went up and he looked and there, he said, there's nothing there. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, watch this, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. It was off in the distance. It's nine miles away or further. And he says, I see a cloud, Elijah, but, but it's kind of small, about the size of a man's hand. So Elijah said, go until Ahab, hitch up your chariot, and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. 
the power of the Lord came on Elijah, tucking his cloak in his belt. Watch this, because this is going to be important to next week. He tucked the cloak in his belt, and he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Don't forget verse 46. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah. That's going to lead us into chapter 19 next week. Imagine what it must have been like for the people of God. And we'll close with this. Standing there and all of a sudden, the wind starts blowing. And you can smell rain in the air. Skies start getting dark and you haven't seen that for three and a half years. And then there's probably some thunder and lightning. Then all of a sudden, the showers of blessing begin to fall. The Lord, He is God. Lord, He is God. I, I imagine they weren't in a hurry to get off the mountain. But when they did come off the mountain, two things were certain. Their past was under His grace, and their future was under His control. They had settled that on Mount Carmel. As they walked down that mountain, their past was under His grace, and their future was under His control. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God.